Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. I'm joined by senior editor Lee Smith of the Weekly Standard. Lee, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. It's great to be with you. You've been uh, writing today about the Kurdish independence vote referendum happening uh, over the weekend and the results having just been announced or or predicted what's what's right no uh the um the president of the kurdistan regional government in iraq uh announced uh just a little bit ago that the uh the vote shows that um uh residents voted voted in favor of independence now i should just uh uh remind everyone that this is a non-binding vote and so it doesn't mean that the uh, KRG will automatically turn into a ind- uh, state independent of the central government in Baghdad. But why the- would anyone uh, want to leave something <laughs> as wonderful and beautiful as the Iraqi state that we know now? Well, that, that, that's a very good point, Eric. Um, I, I mean, it's not clear to me, actually, that the KRG indeed wants to leave uh, the central government. I mean, there's some speculation that this was mostly done as a uh, a bargaining chip for ba- for Barzani. He wants a better deal from the central government, and I assume that won't just include uh, cabinet people. I assume it'll include a better deal for the oil that the uh, that's in the uh, that's in the KRG, and also Barzani's fending off internal rivals inside uh, Iraqi Kurdistan as well. And so I think for him to say that he's the man who who won, um, or he's the man who's really pushing for Kurdish sovereignty, for an independent uh, Iraqi Kurdish state. I think that goes uh, that, 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 that goes in his plus column. Now, so, what, did, yeah. what did the Kurds do to be the people that nobody wants to have yeah. uh, an independent state? I mean, they have, you know, when you hear about the Iraqi army mm-hmm. collapsing and running away right. at the first shot, which seems to happen every time, they're not right. talking about the Peshmerga, the Kurdish right. military units. People I know who have visited Iraq and Kurdistan mm-hmm. talk about how different the Kurdish mm-hmm. part of Iraq right. is from the rest of Iraq. Sort of, it almost seems like a normal, normally functioning country. Um, yeah. Why is it that everybody? Uh, all, all the regional players, the European players, the U.S. Uh, are all telling Cur- the Kurds not to vote for independence. Right. Um, well, I mean, this, go- this, uh, as, as you noted uh, at the beginning, you're you're quite right that the Kurds have been, uh, the Kurds have wanted an independent state for a long time. And this is not just in in Iraq, but a Greater Kurdistan, because you know there are Kurdish populations in Syria. And Iran and Turkey, as well as Iraq, and so there's been lots of talk about a about a independent Kurdistan that in, uh, encompasses all of these uh, more or less contiguous regions throughout these four countries in the Middle East. One of the big problems is is that people recognized very early on um, that the Kurds are not a strategic actor. By which I mean, if you look at a map, and it's important to remember when we talk about geopolitics, we have to keep in mind the geo and geopolitics, geography. The Kurds have no, uh, the Kurdish regions touch no water anyway, anywhere. They have no port. It's very hard for them to trade. They're dependent on their larger neighbors. Historically, the Kurds have been sandwiched in between these two enormous powers. Going back thousands of years, these have been empires. We're talking right now about Turkey and Iran. Before there was an Ottoman Empire, you had the Byzantines. Before that, you had the Hittites. When we're looking at Iran, we're talking about the Persians. We're talking about the Safavids. We're talking about 
These have always been larger, more powerful neighbors, and the Kurds are squeezed in between them. It's a, it's a buffer zone. So that's why it's not, I, 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 again, it's not a matter of what the Kurds deserve. There are plenty of peoples throughout history who have deserved a state. And if we're talking about who deserves a state, then certainly a, a very strong and powerful case should be made for the, for the Kurds. The fact that they don't have a state already suggests that there are other factors. It's not a matter of people gathering at the UN saying, here, you can have a state. There are other factors that are much more significant than what people want to have happen. And yet it would seem that the, the strongest argument for them having a state would be that they are a culturally sort of homogenous people, um, which is not to say there aren't Turkmen right. in, in Kurdistan, right. um, but that they're also a sort of highly functioning society yes, in the midst yeah. of mm-hmm. a lot of not so highly functioning societies. Right. Yeah. I'm, we're, we're, I mean, we're talking, I, I, I think it's very important for people to keep in mind that because the Kurds are this, they uh, constitute a buffer zone. These Kurdish regions constitute a buffer zone. We're talking about not just one Kurdish entity here. The KRG is one Turkish political institution. There are many other Tur- uh, Kurdish political institutions around the region, including the Kurdistan Workers Party, which is the main grouping in Turkey and which has been at war with the Turkish state since 1984. If you look at the PKK's ideology, it's very different from the KRG. Again, the KRG is pro-Western, very pro-America, which is terrific. I think that they're a terrific American ally. If you look at the PKK, we're talking about an entirely different thing. We're talking about a Stalinist group that the State Department has designated a foreign terrorist organization. And they've been at war and they've been responsible for tens of thousands of death, uh, deaths in Turkey during the course of this war. So it's, it's, we're not just talking about uh, one Kurdish political institution. There are many of them spread out throughout the region. So that's why I think it's important to be so specific the, looking at the KRG. If the KRG, which is the Kurdish regional government, right. if they are at odds with the PKK, which has mm-hmm. been a terrorist group afflicting Turkey. Uh, Why is Turkey not enthusiastic about embracing the KRG as a way to further put pressure on the PKK? Yeah, that's a very very good point. I think that a lot of this has to do with internal uh, Turkish dynamics and a lot of the problems that uh, the Turkish government, Recep Erdogan, has at home. Uh, including members of his governing coalition. It's important to remember that even uh, while PKK has been at war with Turkey since 1984, it was Erdogan who opened up a peace process with the PKK. So it's not like he loves the PKK, but he wanted to open up a peace process with them, a peace process that is opposed by many, many people in, in, in Turkey, including members now of Erdogan's governing coalition. So I think that's one problem. To reach out to them is one problem. Um, the, uh, I mean, there, there, there are other, there are other regional dynamics as well. Well, one of the other regional dynamics is that the the KRG, the Kurdish regional government, the sort of main political organization of Kurds, their their biggest friend in the region seems to be Israel. Um, that's not a problem. That's not the problem for Turkey. That's certainly a problem for Iran. Iran is right to be nervous about this. And this is why Iran opposes the referendum. Uh, the, the Iranians in their typical or the Iranian government in their typical paranoid fashion has been saying, well, uh, the KRG is going to become another Israel. And 
they have a point. I mean, Israel does see, uh, Israel sees the KRG as a, a solid ally, and if it became an independent state, it would become a very solid, it would become, a, it would become an independent entity on, uh, on Iran's borders. And Israel certainly sees that as a huge strategic asset. However, Israel also, I mean, Israel also recognizes what you were describing before. It's a pro, uh, pro-Western democracy. It's a functional state. Uh, a more or less functional state in the middle of the Middle East, and those are extro- extremely rare. Right now, there's there's only Israel, really. So Israel would like to be able to welcome other, at least semi-functional states, into the region and into partnerships. Why is the U.S. so recalcitrant on this issue right. and and not supporting right. the aspirations of Kurdish society to be independent? Right. Um, the United States right now, they uh, issued a statement, I believe it was yesterday, saying that the, the State Department issued a paper saying was deeply disappointed in the, uh, in the fact that the KRG had this referendum. Right now, the United States wants um, a unified Iraq, which for certain reasons is understandable. This is what we like dealing with. We like dealing with central governments. We also um, committed many resources to liberating Iraq from Saddam Hussein, um, lots of American lives and lots of American money. And so the United States would like to keep that, would like to keep that whole and keep uh, the central government in Baghdad as powerful as it is. Even the, if it's uh, a central government that is effectively being controlled by Iran? Yes, unfortunately, that's exactly right. And that's an enormous problem. And so I think that the fact that the United States wants the KRG nonetheless beholden to what is uh, no doubt an Iranian asset is a very big problem. And so I think the American position on this is terrible, not uh, not only more for strategic reasons than for uh, than for reasons of morality or what the Kurds deserve in terms of uh, in terms of a state. It's a huge strategic. Uh, a huge strategic problem for the United States. Strategic blunders by the U.S. in the Middle East is shocking, <laughs> shocking. Lee Smith, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the Daily Standard podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. Support for the Daily Standard podcast comes from Tracker. Your phone, your wallet, your keys, you know they're plotting against you hiding somewhere. How are you going to find them? Well, you might use Tracker. Eight years ago, Tracker changed everything when they released their first tracking device, And now they've done it again with the all-new Tracker Pixel. With Tracker Pixel, you'll never worry about losing your things again. Tracker Pixel is the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. Place Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose, keys, wallets, even your dog. It's small enough to fit anywhere. You can even locate your items if they're miles away, because every Tracker user is part of the largest crowd location network in the world. It's kind of like Waze for finding stuff. Tracker's 30-day money-back guarantee means you truly have nothing to lose. Go to thetracker.com standard to get 20% off any order. That's thetracker, T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R dot com slash standard for 20% off. That's it for today's Daily Standard podcast. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.